I am peeved almost always about something. It's just, I got the hater in me. I'm just, I'm, something is going to drive, I'm going to think about it. It's going to drive me nuts. It's going to happen every time. Uh, and somebody who's really good at like pushing the buttons, stirring the pot, Cameron Wilson. He was just on stage. He knows. And I don't know how he knows, but man, he'll see me make a move or my face twitch and he'll just be like, oh, I'm stirring that pot. Yeah. Like uh, air fryers, big air fryer guy. Love air fryers. Put some cold pizza in there. Perfect. But cold, or cold pizza, air fryers are just countertop convection ovens, okay? That's all they are. They're just convection ovens. It's forced heated air through a space. And so if you're buying an, an oven or stovetop, and it's like, oh, yeah, we have an air fryer button, they're just trying to upcharge you a convection oven, okay? It's just a convection oven. That's all it is. Another thing is like Reese's. Is, it's how it's pronounced, okay? It's Reese's. If you take off, if you lop off the apostrophe S, it's just Reese. And the apostrophe S doesn't change the way the word sounds. It just makes it possessive. So it's Reese's. In fact, they make a candy called Reese's Pieces. Wouldn't make sense to be Reese's Pieces because that's not a word. And, and even less sense if it was Reese's Pieces. It's just Reese's Pieces. It rhymes. It, it makes sense. And one, one more thing. Just like, you know what? Like, I know this is going to ruffle feathers, but like soccer, infinitely better than football. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. It just... It just is. Look, I watched football last night. Love football. Illinois plays tomorrow. Go Illini. But look, you're going to watch anywhere from two to six hours. Uh, you have to guess on that. And, like, you'll get about 30 minutes of actual gameplay. Sweet. Soccer is always going to be 90 minutes. Never going to change. Like, you might get a little extra time in there. It's always 90 minutes. And you're going to be like, oh, but they flop. And, oh, it's two to nothing. It's like, okay, well, first of all, Everybody tries to take advantage of the rules in every sport. It happens every time. Also, let's not pretend that 14 to nothing isn't 2 nothing, okay? You're getting extra points from somewhere in the atmosphere. It's 2 to nothing, guys. Like, and then, God forbid, it's 14 to 3. 2 to 1, 2 to a half. Good job. We did it. Like, it's better. And look, I have a lot of, like, small pet peeves. <clears throat> but I have, you know, bigger things that, I think about all the time. My gears get to spinning and I'm thinking and it just gets stuck, okay? I just can't get it out of my head. And most of it is your fault. Not like anybody specifically. I'm not like Tim over there like, oh, Emily. It's like, no, it's just the church general, okay? And not even South Rock. Like, I love South Rock, but like big C church, little C Catholic church, just like the whole thing especially like English speaking specifically, the church. There's some things that, listen, let me pause. I love the church. I love what it is. I love what it represents. I love being a part of it. It's great. It's the bride of Christ. It's wonderful. But churches do and say things or church people do and say things that spin me out, that drive me a little nuts and I get stuck on. And I kind of came up with a top three that I've heard over the last couple years that have really just gotten to me. And the first one is when anybody invokes society and culture, okay? Whenever anybody's like, oh man, society, right? Society tells us to do this. Culture is saying this about us. Society and culture are 
horrible, horrendous, and all these different things, society and culture. Another big one is, uh, man, this generation. I'll tell you what, this generation is the worst. They're terrible. And I've been hearing this one since I was little because I'm a millennial. I'm 30. Like, chalk that, yeah. Like, I've, I, I've heard it all. And Gen Z is getting it even worse. Like, it's, oh, man, they're lazy. They're self-important. It's, oh, this generation. And the one that confounds me the most is, man, it's getting worse. World's getting worse. Good's going down. It's bad. Like, things are bad out there, and it's only getting worse. You know what? I think Jesus is coming back. Like, I think Jesus is, he's on the doorstep. It's time the world is ending. It's over. It's getting worse. And it confounds me. And so I didn't honestly want to talk about this because I've heard these complaints from church-going people, and uh, you're in the room. And so I was like, I don't know if I want to talk about this, but I was going through my Bible trying to decide what I wanted to preach on, and I landed on 1 Corinthians 13. Even if this is your first time in church, you've heard a part of 1 Corinthians 13. It's like the most famous chapter. It's the love chapter. If you've went to a wedding or watched a TV show with a wedding episode, you've heard parts of 1 Corinthians 13. It's very famous. Uh, But as I was reading it, it gave me just hope. It gave me uh, something, it just made me feel better about these things that I've heard over and over again. And I was like, people are going to have questions if I talk about this. And I want to address those questions through the lens of 1 Corinthians 13. So we're going to read that today, but a little context. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 is all about gifting. It's all about, like, you have specific gifts, and you bring those to church, and that makes up this beautiful body of believers that is called the church. And it's written, uh, chapter 12 and the rest of the chapters, is written to a church in Corinth. Uh, believe it or not, that's why it's called Corinthians. But Corinth was this amazing melting pot of a city, a little bit like, you know, America, where we had all these different religions and ethnicities and languages because it was kind of a double port city, okay? Uh, you could either sail around Greece, which was a long way, or you could go to Corinth take a little land bridge that it sat on and get to the other side of the sea. See what I'm saying? And so it got ships coming and going. So it got everybody in the area, languages, religion, everybody, and it just became this melting pot. And so Paul was talking about gifting, and that's when he leads us to chapter 13. And we're going to start in 1231, actually, and then move on to chapter 13 where it says this. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still more, a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away too. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, and reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so I know you have questions. And I'm pretty sure I can, I sensed where this was going because the first one would be like, Sam, society and culture are bad, man. Society and culture is awful. It's telling you horrible things, horrific things. Truth isn't truth anymore. Society and culture are telling you that faith is silly. Believing in God is crazy. Society and culture say one thing. If you would disagree, then you're canceled. It's over. Society and culture are bad. So why should we engage with it? Why should we engage with society and culture? Why not be insular? Why not just go to church, go to church events, read church books, listen to church music, just do church things? Why engage with society and culture at all? It's crazy. And I have good news. There's precedent here because every Christian ever has been in a society or culture. The only ones that escape it are monks, show of hands, who wants to go live on a monastery by themselves, or those that go live on a commune. Then you have to give up Wi-Fi. No, all the hands went down, like nothing. And so every Christian ever has had to live in society and culture. A common sub-complaint to this is, uh, is gender, and I'm not going to get into it, so take a sigh of relief. Uh, I'm not going to dive into that, but I see this from church leaders all the time online. I hear from sermons. I see tweets and all that kind of stuff. The idea of the feminization of the church, right? Church is becoming ladylike. Men can't be men, so men don't go to church, yada, 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 on and on and on. And so I even found a quote that really sums this up well, and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but it goes like this. Basically, this guy said, uh, I always thought church was sissy stuff, stuff for old people and girls, not for you know, real he-men with red blood in their veins. And you might be sitting there going like, yeah, that sums up the problem exactly. But the problem is that was a quote from Billy Graham and he was talking about the church in the 40s before he was saved. Like this has always been a problem. We've always been dealing with society and culture and we've always been dealing with the same problems. In fact, I mean, look at the guy we serve. Jesus was killed. And he wasn't killed by a rogue assassination plot by like two guys that were like, yeah, let's get him. He was killed by the religious and empirical leaders of the day, a.k.a. those that set the tone and tenor of society and culture. Society and culture killed our Savior. You might be going, oh, well, there you go, Sam. Why engage? Why engage with society and culture that hates us, that mocks us, that gets rid of us? Why engage at all? Again, I'm going to go back. Every Christian ever has been in society and culture. So the question shouldn't be, why should we engage? Because the answer to that is, you have to kind of the deal we get when we sign up for being human. You have to engage with society and culture. You're in it. It's too late. It's done. So the real question is, how do we engage? How do I engage with society? How do I engage with culture, especially one that seems to be antithetical to what I believe? And Paul was pretty simply, simple and clear. You respond with love. We engage with love because every time we engage with anything else, it means nothing. You can post any meme about Biden or Trump you want. You can complain. You can go to family gatherings and tell uh, anybody you want about how bad it is. You can tell the cashier. You can, you can complain till your heart's content. But if you're not doing it with love, it's nothing. Because I can stand up here and I can know every language. I can be so prophetic I know the future. I can have a faith that puts this building in Wichita 
I could give of myself till there's nothing left, but if I don't do it with love, I've done nothing and I am nothing. And so again, you can complain all you want, but if we're not doing it with love, we have done nothing. So we need to engage with the culture because you have to, and we need to do it with love, because otherwise you have done nothing. But Sam, <laughs> the people who engage the most with society and culture are th is this generation, this, these young people. I mean, my kids are great, my grandkids are great, my nieces and like, I know great kids, but like this generation, pfft, terrible. Terrible people. They basically have brain rot. They're, ba they're only concerned about the TikToks and the tweeters, and that's all they want to do is worry about their phone. They're self-involved, self-important, lazy. I mean, have you, even, have you seen how they identify? Sam, why should I even worry about this generation? Why should I even pour into this generation? They are the worst. <laughs> they're terrible. And listen, Part of me gets it, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Part of me, cause look, I am an old man. Like I always have, I might be 30, but like I'm 70 at heart, okay? Like I just, I love black coffee and reading and politics, like I love it. If the question's always like, oh, mountains or beach? I'm like, how about like my house and like my chair and my slippers and my, my pajamas and you got, you can choose any of those cause it's far away from me. So like do, do you, you know, I'll be here. And so I was a youth pastor for two years I could only make it two years, okay? It was hard and I was bad at it. I just couldn't hack it. I, this is a true story. Not, this is not a lie in the slightest. You know staple removers? Like with little fangs that take staples out of paper? I had a girl stab me in the neck. That's not a joke. Stabbed me in the neck. But the last time I saw her was last month at church. Somebody poured into her. Sure wasn't me, I was kind of done with that. but somebody poured into her and got her to church. Man, as a youth pastor, I was bad, but I still saw the heights of love that I could not imagine. Like people that shouldn't be hanging out that just had one thing in common, that was Jesus. And they just wanted to love each other and be there together. I saw, man, I saw this kid legitimately, a professional video game player, like on a team and everything. And he invited me over he gave me the controller, and he showed me how to play it, and he didn't mock me or anything. He just showed me what to do, and we laughed when I laughed, and he helped when I needed help. He just, he just wanted to be hung out with. <laughs> he just wanted somebody to be there. I saw this kid go from, like, an awkward 14-year-old who, like, probably couldn't even talk to his parents well because it was just uncomfortable. And he asked me, how do I pray in front of people? And again, the last time I saw him was at a church in front of a group of strangers as a 20-year-old, and he gave this beautiful and eloquent speech in front of everyone. I saw a girl go from a middle school student to a high school student to a college student to a fully formed adult in a job, and she has such a good head on her shoulders and, such an important, and faith is so important to her, and she has made such an impact in my family that my daughter prays that Sissy would just come home so she could play with her. When we complain about this generation, we pretend like they're not in the room. And so the question of why engage with this, why, or why engage with this generation? Why engage with these people at all? Man, the answer is you're, we're so worried about society. We're so worried about culture. We're so worried about the future of the world and the church. And we're giving it to them. They're the ones inheriting it, and they're the ones setting, that, that are going to set the tone and the location of where it's going. And the question of why is super easy. It's because they're going to take over when we're long gone. And so it's so important to not complain and gossip to their face and go, you are the reason. 
but instead go, you are the future. Let's figure this out. And so it's so important to do that and do it with love. I mean, listen to this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way or uh, insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Every person ever, from elementary age to young adults to everyone in this room wants to be in contact and talk to by a person like this. If you could just put your name in there, Sam is patient and kind. Man, Sam hopes with me. Sam endures with me. Sam doesn't envy or boast, but he's just there with me. So we need to pour into this generation. We need to do so with love and understanding. But Sam, man, things are just getting bad out there. I mean, look at the list. Plague, famine, war. Things are just bad. They're getting worse. Every day there's something new, something on the news. It's just nothing's good. Man, why start now? Why not just get our own house in order, right? Why not just, because Jesus is surely coming back. That's how bad it's getting out there. Jesus is coming back. Let's get our house in order and figure it out, right? Why engage now? Why start loving now? Well, I have good news again. Uh, And this one will ruffle more feathers probably than the football thing. Uh, Things aren't getting worse. I, I don't think they are. Here's the thing things aren't getting worse, things are becoming more apparent. Things are becoming more visible. I can get my phone out, probably download an app or get on a website that puts me in contact with someone in Northwest India. Like I could figure out the local gossip probably within 30 minutes. Wouldn't be hard. If there's a war crime, I'll see it on the news tomorrow. If if there's a celebrity death, I get a notification from Apple News for some reason, right? The world isn't getting worse. It's becoming more obvious that the world is already fallen. It's becoming apparent how bad the world has always been because we've never been this connected before. We see it every day. And the other reason this confounds me, the other reason this trips me out so much is actually from Amos 5. Amos 5, 18 through 20, he's talking about the day of the Lord, which is the day that Jesus comes and God's judgment reigns on the earth. And he says this, "'Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord.'" Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? See, the day of the Lord isn't a day of celebration. And listen, I can't wait. Like I I am excited and hopeful for the future that Jesus has brought to the church. Jesus has promised paradise. Jesus has promised things that, like, we can't even imagine. I I do look forward to that. And we've been saying as a church, as the church for a long time, come, Lord Jesus. It's from 1 Corinthians 16. You might have heard the term Maranatha. It means come, Lord Jesus. And we often say, come, Lord Jesus. And look, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not saying you're doing this on purpose. I'm not saying you're a bad person. But man, the Bible's clear. When we say, come Lord Jesus and leave it at that and and we try to separate ourselves from the world because it's so bad, we're effectively saying, man, I can't wait to go to heaven and I can't wait for my neighbor to just die already. I can't wait for that. Can't wait. 
And so I'm fine saying, come, I'm, saying, I'm fine with saying, man, I can't wait for Jesus. I can't. He's, it's going to be great. It's going to be triumphant. But for most of the world, it won't be. For most of the world, it's going to be a day of darkness. It's going to be a day of despair and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so when we say, come, Lord Jesus, we ought to alter that and say, but tomorrow. Because, man, there are people in this world that are trapped in a society and culture. There's a generation being raised up that doesn't know the name of the Lord. So, Lord Jesus, come. I can't wait, but also give me a day, man. I got to get some things in order. I got to get some people on board. Because, listen, I don't think the boat is sinking any faster, but it is going down. And we're the people of the gospel, so we have a lifeboat, and we have a life jacket on, but we're sure looking at people in the water going, man, I wish you learned how to swim. Why are you even in the water in the first place? What are you doing? What's going on? Man, they don't need our mockery and our derision. What they need is a life preserver, and we have it, and they need it. So why love now? Man, not because it's going down faster, because it's going down, and people need it. People need it in their hearts. And I know this has been a negative sermon, <laughs> believe me. Uh, it's like rule number one of learning how to preach is like, don't be so negative. But, uh, and this has been a lot of complaints than me complaining about complaints. You might be sitting in your seat going, man, this guy's a stone-cold moron. Or you might be sitting in your seat going, okay, I'm on board. Well, what's next? What do I do here? And I have, man, I have the easiest, churchiest Sunday school answer. Why engage with culture and society? Why pour into this generation? Why start now? Man, we have to, we need to, and the way we do it is we do what Jesus did. The time to ask what would Jesus do and wear those trendy bracelets, man, that's past. We know what Jesus did. It's time to do that thing. It's time to do what Jesus did. Maybe going, well, what did Jesus do? Pretty easy. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I, I have a resolution for myself, for you all in the church worldwide this 2023, the year of our Lord. Let's do what Jesus did. And you can do that by reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as often and as much as possible. Just keep reading it over and over and over again and do what Jesus did. And I'm not looking for you to die on a cross or walk across water. I'm looking for you to do things like Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. John 12.46, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. John 3.16-17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Luke 4.18-19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. Not the day of the Lord. The year of the Lord's favor. Man, Jesus came to love. He came to love those that were oppressed and separate, marginalized. The only people Jesus yelled at were in the temple. That's us. Jesus came to love the sex worker, the poor, the tax collector, the government official. Jesus came to love those that were on the margins, that were oppressed and poor. And it's our turn. We need to go into the world and do what Jesus did. We need to go into the world and tell them, look, it's not faster, but it's going down, and it's time to get on board. And we do that by doing what Jesus did. But again, look what he did. He sat down and had meals with people. 
He sat down and told them stories. He shared his life with people. The, ulter- the ulterior motive was to spread good news, not condemn. The ulterior motive for Jesus was to show them there's a new and true and excellent way, and it's through me. It wasn't to go, man, you really missed that one. Too bad you're in the water now. Jesus came to love and he has called us to love. He died for everyone. He died for your neighbor. He died for the capitalist and the communist, the Republican and the Democrat. He died for the Muslim and the Buddhist. God died for us and for them. It's time to break down the wall of us and them and go into the world and surprise it with unconditional and unbelievable love. Because the boat isn't sinking faster, but it is going down. There's gonna come a day where it ends we're not going to see dimly in a mirror. We're going to see face to face. And when it's all said and done, these three remain. Faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. Let's stand in worship.